Buying a business with no money down can be done, but the reality is it will likely cost you more than what you're probably bargaining for. Hi, I'm Jared Krause. I'm the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and today I'm speaking with Bakari, who founded Graves Hall Capital to acquire companies. In 2023, he acquired a $35 million burlap bag manufacturing company with Granite Creek Partners LLC, When and he now sits on the board for that company of direct. And in 2021, he also executed a $25 million educational technology company acquisition with Iron Creek Partners, LLC. Now, Bakari previously served as director of corporate development for an engineering software company, head of mergers and acquisitions for an artificial intelligence company, director of a technology-focused private equity firm. And in each role, Bakari was responsible for sourcing, evaluating, and executing multi-million dollar business acquisitions. Now, Bakari is also a visiting lecturer at or Cornell's Graduate School of Management where he teaches MBA candidates how to buy businesses, which we talk about in the podcast episode where he teaches people to buy offline businesses. He also has bought an online business from Flipper. We talk about that acquisition being his first ever acquisition as well. But throughout the podcast episode, we also unravel a lot more of Bakari's story and how he started living in an unstable environment and how he went from no money to teaching people how to buy businesses. And it's quite very inspiring success story. We also talk about how he finds these businesses and a big part, portion of the talk was how he financed them with a stern word of warning for anyone wanting to finance a business, which is really important, which we're going to talk about in the pod. Let's talk about how to buy a business either with management, without management. Of course, these are majorly offline businesses, but there's so much we can learn and move into the online acquisition space as well. I also go on my high horse again and talk about why we shouldn't be counting time as an input and comparing ourselves to others and other successes and what we should actually be doing to set ourselves up for success on our first acquisition. And then we talk a little bit about our lifestyles. Bakari's traveling at the moment. I'm living in a different country um, to what I was born in. I've lived in a bunch of different countries and I share how many countries I've traveled to and what my life has looked like a little bit and what Bakari's life looks like and how you can have a similar life from acquiring businesses. And there's so much value in this pod. Before we get started though, this is not the only way I can help you for free from from this podcast. We're talking about buying businesses here. If you don't have my due framework, make sure you go to my website, buyingonlinebusinesses.com forward slash free resources and get my jutilance framework that I and my clients have used that's helped them buy great businesses and prevented them from buying dud businesses. So don't buy a lemon, get the tool. Let's dive in. Do you have a website you might want to sell either now or in the future? We have a hungry list of cashed up and trained up buyers that want to buy your content website. If you have a site making over $300 per month and want to sell it, head to buyingonlinebusinesses.co forward slash sell your business or email us at info at buyingonlinebusinesses.com because we will likely have a buyer. Details are in the description. Bakari, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? You said it perfectly. Awesome. Uh, so you've bought businesses before and you do buy businesses. Where did you, well, how, how did you get started buying businesses and why? Like what was even the drive for this? <laughs> sure. So, uh, 
my background is pretty straightforward, or not really straightforward, I should say. <laughs> it's actually a little bit <laughs> unique. Um, let's see. So, uh, so I'm the founder of Graves Hall Capital, which is a private equity firm I founded to buy companies. Um, so far, completed a few deals. Uh, earlier this year, I purchased a burlap bag manufacturing company in partnership with a, a private equity firm. Um, uh, the year before that, completed an acquisition of an educational technology company, um, which I did in partnership with a, a family office. Um, separate from that, I teach MBA candidates at uh, Cornell's Business School how to buy companies. And, uh, and separate from that, I've been working as either director director of corporate development or head of M&A um, for large technology companies um, completing acquisitions on their behalf. And so I've been uh, an acquirer both as a principal and as a uh, um, as a corporate acquirer um, and also do a lot of the you know, sort of teaching to try to convince folks who uh, might not see this as an option or uh, an, uh, an available place to pursue um, that this is actually an option that's worth uh, worth considering. And so um, separate from that, though, how I sort of got into this world was when I was like 24, 25, I was trying to figure out how do you get rich? <laughs> and that's really like the, the beginning Typical of 24 like, year old, um, uh, thought process. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's really, it was very simple. Uh, I was very poor and I was trying not to be poor anymore. Yeah. And, uh, I was looking into different sort of wealth of building strategies, um, looked at real estate, looked at stocks and bonds. I looked at um, just, you know, straight entrepreneurship through the starting of a brand new company. And uh, I didn't find anything that was as compelling as an option. Um, and from my perspective, um, the least amount of like direct risk as uh, as acquiring an existing established company with, you know, years, if not decades of, uh, of verifiable revenue and profits. Um, generally speaking with a staff that's, you know, long and tenured, um, and a uh, customer base that, uh, um, that is, uh, loyal to, um, not the, just the ownership and the management of the company, but to the products or services that the company provides. And so, um, for me, that was just like the most, correct option for um, and safest and most direct option for wealth building um, based on everything I had learned up to that point. And so I uh, started trying to investigate how to actually do this work. Um, and I uh, started just sort of watching YouTube videos and reading as many books as I could on the subject. Um, I was 24, 25 back in 2015. And, uh, and there really wasn't a lot of information about the sort of leverage buyout world, um, other than like, you know, trying to learn how KKR does deals, which was not as directly relevant to me as a individual buyer. And so uh, uh, ultimately I came across this man named Tim Bovard, who was teaching a sub teaching the subject to um, MBA candidates. And I started to notice that there was that really it was all concentrated at like two MBA programs, Harvard and Stanford, where they were actually teaching individuals how to buy an existing business. And so um, Tim Bovard had just started teaching this course at Columbia Business School. I wasn't a student at Columbia Business School, but I lived in Harlem, which was like right down the street from uh, Columbia Business School. And so I just sort of snuck in the back of the class and started learning how uh, this world works and how to, you know, actually 
go out and do this, uh, do this. And so from sitting and sneaking into the back of the class um, and learning how to do this, now I've you know done a decent amount of acquisitions and I've worked in this space. Um, and now I actually teach the same class that I was uh, s- sort of sneaking into um, several years ago. And so, uh, uh, and so, yeah, that's sort of like the beginning all the way to, you know, where I am today. Yeah, cool. Congrats. Mm. So did you try um, stocks or anything like that, like or real estate or anything? Not or as a wealth. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not as a wealth building activity. I would say um, once I started to make like real significant amounts of money, I started investing my money sort of the standard way that you should, which is, you know, through index funds and make sure that you're applying your 401k and and I'm doing all like the, you know, uh, if you if you grab any personal finance book like Remit Sethi's book, uh, I will teach you to be rich or uh, any other ones. I'm doing all the things that you're supposed to do now. Uh, but at the time, I just felt like I didn't have like a really big enough capital mm-hmm. base to actually accelerate. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of wealth building uh personal finance things are about how to make sure that when you retire, you have like a million dollars or more um, to be able to live on during uh, retirement. And while I thought that was admirable, I didn't think that that was the lifestyle that I was hoping mm-hmm. to live. Um, I wanted to have access to a large amount of capital um, or a large amount of disposable income at a much younger age than uh, waiting until I was like 70 or 60. And, uh, and so I knew that meant that I had to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. Um, and so of course that um, sort of makes you, brings you to real estate. Cause that's sort of like the standard place where a lot of people are like, they'll buy a house and flip it and buy a house and flip it. Um, and I wanted to do that. But when I started looking into the knowledge place, because I, I didn't have any knowledge at the time, a lot of the people who were teaching how to do real estate were very shysty in my opinion. And, um, it was like uh, sort of a weird, uh, you know, pay me $30,000 and I'll teach you how to flip a house. And uh, if you don't if you don't flip a house, even though you paid me my $30,000, I'm not giving you back your $30,000. The reason it didn't work is because of you. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you didn't do the this work. The and so therefore you didn't get There's it. There's so da-da-da. many people mm-hmm. t- like teaching the education of real estate. Uh, we call it property in Australia. Right. And I do invest in property. I mm-hmm. love property. I'm buying another property right now. Um, and you're right. Like, but that's, I guess it's the same with like the make, it's definitely the same with the make money online space. I know for a fact, because a lot of people, when they have a call with me, um, or they, you know, start to work with us, they're like, okay, this isn't actually a scam. Like this is a real person actually is accountable and cares about people and gets people results. So I totally get that. Um, and your stories. Yeah, your story's really cool. Like, I'm, I'm very stoked for you. Like, you should be proud of yourself. Like, you Thank should be you. thrilled with you know going from uh, sneaking to the back of a class to teaching it. It's a really cool hero's journey story. What was, you know, what was the um, first business that you bought, and what um yeah what's yeah so you know separate from the work that I do as a corporate acquirer where you know I've acquired several businesses on behalf of an artificial intelligence company that I was working um, with. And uh, and also, um, most recently, where I was uh, director of corporate development for an engineering software business um, and did deals um, for them, um, my, uh, in, my, in my personal world, the first really 
big acquisition I did um, and, and completed was the acquisition of the educational technology business that I did in partnership with the family office. Um, that one came after like years of like, like it's uh, it's always so interesting to me to to sort of start my journey from that acquisition when like for like four or five years, it was just like, knocking on the door trying to complete like a really good deal and getting really close to the edge and watching deals fall apart like like while i'm happy of the first first one i did i learned a lot more from the ones that failed <laughs> like 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 is in and in fact when i ultimately completed the first one i was actually at a place where i was thinking you know what maybe i'm not going to be able to do this like maybe <laughs> maybe i've i'm just Maybe everybody's right. You're supposed to go to Harvard and Stanford, and that's the only way that you're able to, you know, buy a company. Like I was like really at that place, um, and so when I when I continued to pursue, I was in this really sort of sad, dark, uh, despair low, uh, part part of my life. Um, but started pushing through it, and uh, and it ultimately, you know, ended up completing. And then uh, and then funny enough, just like sort of by this the sheer sort of will and, uh, and what's the right word? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think like Providence, right. Within a year, the next one completed, um, which is the acquisition of the burlap bag manufacturing business. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, it's like once things started rolling, then things started really rolling. And, uh, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm uh, pursuing a new acquisition. Can't be, I can't talk about that one publicly, but that one um, looks like it has like a lot of legs on it. It may um, complete and, you know, keeping a pipeline active, the whole nine on the personal side. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, like this, it's, uh, I'm excited that things have uh, started to turn around, but there was a long, a long journey. Like I, I, I a lot of, I, I'm always, I'm always trying to inspire people to do this work, but I also try to temper them with this idea that it's going to be like some like quick thing. Like I started this work and I started really pursuing this in 2016 and it's took like years before like a full acquisition um, was able to happen. That said, I had unique sort of like challenges in my personal life. Like I was very, very poor. <laughs> like I, I, did, I did not have nearly an amount of money to try to pull this off as, uh, as I think like I, there was not a decent amount of money for the down payment and all those types of things. So I was going to have to like really do a lot of creative financing, um, ways to, to pull this off and ultimately was able to, but, uh, um, but I always try to caution people that this is not like a get rich quick thing. Like you're not going to be able to like, not not be able to, but it's very unlikely that you're going to wake up on January one and have a completed acquisition by March one. Right. Like that is uh, like you have to build a pipeline. You have to visit like dozens and dozens and dozens. I mean, you know, in the private equity world, it's not uncommon to look at a thousand businesses and ultimately make an offer on like maybe 20 of them to close one of them over the course of like an entire year. And so as an individual going out and buying companies, um, I'm always trying to caution people from thinking about this as like, this is uh, year one is going to be completed. More often than not, it's going to take like a full like 18 months from like deciding that you want to get this done to like actually being in the chair and owning the business. Even, even that, like, and I'm very glad that you shared that is I... I agree. A lot of people listen to uh, case studies on our podcast of people that have gone away and bought a business and people count time like it's important. And 
it's not important. Uh, and hear me out, guys, and you, and, and you too, Bakari, if you haven't heard me talk about this. like, It's important if you make it important, but um, the, the reality is that, you, like you say, oh, it could take you uh, 12 months to 18 months to you know get an acquisition done. Well, what might – and say let's say you take uh, – you look at, I don't know, 300 businesses in that time frame, right, in say 18 months. Now, it might take somebody 36 months to look at 300 businesses. And, uh, yeah, and, and the reality is that, like, what, what might take somebody 18 months might take somebody two or three years, and we shouldn't be counting time. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. The reality is that the inputs that we need to put in, right, and I know for, uh, from what I hear from you is, like, you put a lot of inputs in to be able to get a result. And I take my hat off to you and I take my hat off to everybody else, all of the students that have done that. And that's what we kind of need to do is we kind of need to like look past other people's success stories of like, I bought a $100 million business and it only took me three months to do. Reality is like that's how many other businesses have they purchased before that, <laughs> right? So I'd like to ask you, you know, you may and you're, you're we're talking about, I'm, I'm suggesting or uh, assuming that we're talking about offline businesses here that you have purchased and there it's with it's with leverage right it's a very different story with the online business uh game not not too much leverage on the lower end you know under a million dollars like million dollar acquisition not really using too much leverage for somebody that is buying their first business with leverage and buying an offline business that might be a large acquisition i could see how much work goes into that to try and make yourself even an attractive buyer right so tell, tell me like let's work Let's talk about the first question. How much was that if you open sharing it? How much leverage did you use? And then what did you do to become an attractive buyer to get to that success in that first acquisition? Yeah, I mean, so for me, the the first step was tying my personal identity to what the what the seller was looking for. And so like if anybody is listening to this podcast, you can go on my website. It's graveshallcap.com and get a sense for like the way that I frame myself in the mind of a person who's looking to um, sell a company to me. Um, and this remains true, um, which is that when I'm looking for a company, I'm usually talking to the owner about the option to buy their company and run it full time as CEO where they get the opportunity to not just exit from the company, but also exit from the leadership and management responsibilities that they've had over the course of, you know, however long that they've owned and run their company. And there are, uh, there are people who are attracted to the option and a lot of people who are not attracted to the option. Um, there are private equity firms who sometimes will buy a company from a, uh, um, from an owner, but say to that owner, we are not, managers of businesses. We own businesses, but we don't like to manage them. And so as a result, we want you to stay in the management chair, even though we now own the company and have paid you handsomely for the privilege of owning your business. And uh, and there are a lot of owners who are very open to that because sometimes they just didn't have capital access. Um, and if they could get capital access, it makes a lot more sense for them to, stay, to sit in that chair. Um, alongside a private equity firm. And then there are other owners who are like, listen, I've run this business for 40 years. 
<laughs> I am not running this business uh, any longer. I'm looking to leave the chair and uh, and they may not have the option to hand that business off to like their son or daughter who has been raised off of the profits that the business has generated um, and now works in like a corporate job as a, I don't know, attorney, a a management consultant, a, you know, any one of those jobs that pays 200 to $300,000 a year. And they're living a great life. They may live in New York City or LA or something like that. And, uh, you know, the option to come to uh, Lumberton, North Carolina and run their dad's uh, burlap bag manufacturing company just doesn't seem as appealing to them. Um, and so dad can, uh, hand that business off to, um, to the next generation. And so, uh, and then if they were considering maybe handing that business off to a, somebody in the management team, the managers may not know how to orchestrate and put together the financing to actually complete an acquisition of the size that the seller needs to feel comfortable actually um, handing off the company. And so um, for all those reasons, there are people who are like me who provide that option. We know how to structure the financing and identify and capture the financing to complete the acquisition. And we also want to sit in the management chair and uh, and run those companies full time. And so um those 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 types of people are the people who usually when I'm on podcasts I'm speaking to, and also who I'm speaking to when I'm teaching my class at uh, at Cornell. It's like these are not just um, financial managers, but also people who want to run and operate. And so, what happened with the first um, first company was that was the story that that seller wanted. He wanted to find an option to to exit his uh, the management chair. Um, how it ultimately ended up playing out was once we started to pull the capital together, the seller was like, hey, actually, this is great capital and great capital access. Why don't I stay in the management chair and keep running the company now that you put, um, pull together this financing? Um, and so uh, and so that's ultimately how it played out. So um, completed the acquisition and he remains as CEO uh, of the business today. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, it's, one, it's one thing to purchase a purchase a business and to have the previous owner stay involved and using their team and management versus bringing in your own already having your own and there's so many different strategies to those different types of acquisitions both in online acquisition online business acquisition and offline not that i have experience in offline acquisitions a lot of people do talk to me and i do do a little bit of like advising um without charging <laughs> because it's not my it's not my forte uh, mm-hmm. but what did you what did you learn like let's talk about the let's talk about the financing how did you finance this one because it was your first acquisition did you put any mm-hmm. any of your own cash into it um because sure you know i'd love to hear so yeah so on on the financing and again i I reference my website so anyone listening to this who wants to understand sort of how these like offline acquisitions happen um when I'm talking with brokers um that's usually the first one of the first two questions that they're asking me they want to know a little bit about my background and whether or not I'm like a good guy and um trustworthy and that makes sense to actually introduce me to um whoever uh they're representing to sell their company to but then they'll ask me so how are you going to pay for this and on my website I actually have like a tab I usually say on the call I say hey um um 
have you been to this website, graveshallcap.com? They'll be like, sure. And they'll go to the website and I'll be saying, you see the section that says how I'm paying for it? And right there on the website, I break down the entire financial structure. And so ultimately what I'm looking to do when I'm putting together the financing is one, I'm, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm going to be using some leverage. And so um, that usually through the SBA program, like that's usually where I'm going to first for um, for capital access. Um, and so that what that means in practical sense is that I go to the bank and I say, hey, can we use the seven a program as a part of um, completing this acquisition um, or this or the bank will say that I'm say me, listen, we're going to use that seven a program. Um, if anyone here knows the seven a program or doesn't know the seven a program, that's the um, government guarantee um, that the SBA gives to small banks that allows them to finance transactions up to about five million dollars. Um, and if the if you fail at running a company and ultimately default on that loan, the bank can get something like seventy five percent, if not more, um, of recovery of that um, of that money that they loaned to you. And so uh, and so for them, it makes it very close to like a risk fee loan. Um, and so they oftentimes, if they want to do a loan like this, they're going to go use this program to uh, secure themselves against um, while also. You know, you're going to have to put up a personal guarantee so they're secured with your personal guarantee and from the government, uh, the government's guarantee. Um, the second piece of the financing puzzle for me is usually a seller note. Um, and so I'm asking the seller to some to hold some portion of the purchase price back. Um, and I think that's an accessible option for e for for online businesses as well. I don't think and it, it yeah, always has to be. That. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't always have well, to be we like use, we use SB, where, Yeah, we use SBA and we do use seller note. Yeah, perfect. Seller finance. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a similar yeah. type of leverage that's available to me as somebody who, you know, goes after um, offline businesses as well. Um, this is not to say I don't look at online businesses. In fact, I, I started my very first ever acquisition that I pursued was an online business. It was a, uh, it was, I found it on Flippa actually. It was the, um, All right. yeah, <laughs> this was back in 2016 before, um, before the, uh, before there was a plat, the platform split from, um, there was an M and a portion and Flippa that was just like yeah. this very, very small types things. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I came across a company on Flippa. It was a it was a subscription box business for like survival gear. So you know, every month they would send you a box with like knives and matches mm -hmm. and flashlights and all those types of things. Um, the business was making like two million dollars in revenue. Like I think it was around four hundred thousand dollars in uh, in annual profits. Um, and I was buying the company for something like nine hundred thousand dollars. And so um, I went to the SBA to get a um, to get the loan, which I got, um, and then I had to raise the rest of the money from investors to complete the acquisition. And so that was a, so I still am actually interested in online businesses, and I don't have any issue pursuing those. And then lastly, there's um, you know raising equity capital, and so that's the the final piece of the puzzle um, for me. How I completed the the first acquisition was, you know, the family office um, represented most of the equity for that transaction, um, and then we partnered with a large bank to bring in um, the majority of the leverage um, on that acquisition. So we ultimately didn't need to use the SBA program because the bank that we went with was large enough that they didn't want to actually use that guarantee as a part of their um, as a part of their process. And so that's how uh, we ended up completing that deal. Cool. Mm -hmm. So tell me about um, cash in. Did you put any of your own cash in so, for any of these deals? If so, what percentage? So I I, I want to preface what I'm saying or preface what I'm about to say by saying 
I don't think anybody trying to buy companies should start with this um, sort of frame of I'm not going to have to put up any money. Um, I think I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I totally agree. Right. It just makes it so much harder to get an acquisition done without putting skin in the game. That's true. And there's so many people out there that I find unfortunately sell that you can buy businesses with no money down That's right. and it can be done That's right. and it's a lot trickier to do especially when you're starting out and you have no runs on the board you mm-hmm. have no experience you, you you're faking the talk you can't you haven't yet walked the walk that's right so i'm um, i've Thank you for prefacing that, and uh, I wanted to back that yeah. up for you as well. Yeah, I, I always like to say that. Like, it's not. This is like I don't think anybody should come into this game thinking, "Let me figure out." In fact, there and there are like people who who sell books and different things and say how to buy a business with zero money down. And anybody who's yeah, like exactly. sort of telling you to do that, what they may not be sharing with you is that you're going to give up something. If it's not going to be money, you're going to give up a lot of time. Right, because as you just said, it's very complex and very difficult to pull these things off. So in my case, um, I've been able to complete several tra- transactions without having to put up a significant amount of, of equity capital, um, mostly because at the beginning, I didn't have a lot of equity capital. That means, though, I ended up trading a lot of time and also giving up more equity than I probably wanted to in the beginning. And so... Um, and so these are sort of the trade-offs that you'll, you'll end up making. And so you can complete the acquisition... Um, but you're going to have to make your it's you, there's no free lunches and <laughs> nobody's giving away anything for free. And so, you know, for me, you know, not only am I putting together all of the uh, uh, the, the equi- you know, the capital to complete the transaction, which is ultimately how I can get away with not putting up that much equity. Um, but I have to hunt down the business and structure uh, and do the due diligence. And, you know, these are all things that ultimately the investors are paying for when um, when I'm bringing the deal all together. And so that's ultimately why um, uh, they'll look at it and say, hey, you know, you put in skin in the game because you've already done so much work to complete this transaction. What I didn't do was say to a business owner, hey, I'm interested in buying your company. And the guy says, yes. And then I immediately go run to the other guy and just put those guys together and walk away. Like if I put, if I, if I do that, then there's nothing that's going to happen. Right. Like then <laughs> I'd be, I'd be lucky to even get like a fee. Right. Like, and so, uh, and so that's the, that's the, um, uh, the, the difference between this work. And so I would say, I would caution anybody from thinking, hey, let's get this started without putting up any money. You're going to have to put up something, um, even if it's not money. Um, but sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's a lot cheaper to just actually put up the money if you have it. Yeah, and I think you can just get the de- deal done a lot quicker. It's a lot easier with more of your own cash. And uh, it's, it's nice. It, it gets the deal across the line a lot easier with the seller, knowing that the buyer has skin in the game and they're not just trying to you know, and knowing that they have put, you know, purchased other businesses before, you know, especially for your first one, like trying to do that without any any of your own skin in the game. It, it, as a seller, for me, selling my business, and I think that's where people really need to put themselves as a buyer in the shoes of a seller and ask, you know, is this something that they would do if they were selling the business? So you can, you know, sit on both sides and 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 equally see is that something you would do? Do you think it's fair? Uh, because to get to that's the goal, right? Is to get to uh, somewhere that 
the seller feels the deal is fair and the buyer feel the deal is, feels the deal is fair and that's when magic happens. That's when you meet in the middle and you, you make an acquisition actually work versus because I've had people come into the online business space and say, you know, these multiples are no good. I can't believe brokers are, you know, having these sorts of terms and they've got really frustrated and angry and just left. And I thought, hang on a second, like, if you were on the other side, what would you do? And I asked them that question, like, oh, yeah, cool. I'd probably be similar or a bit harsher. I'm like, well, you know, meet in the middle here um, because that's where the market is and that's where the value is uh, or the the valuation of a business anyway is, is, is where we meet in the middle. So uh, I wanted to ask around when you purchase a business now, do you – you, you, you sort of alluded to it before, but you're not you're not the operations manager. Right? Yeah, I mean, am I correct? Right yeah. now, um, I'm actually traveling the world. I'm on a world tour. I'm living in a different country every month. Um, I live, <laughs> yeah. So since July, I've been in July. I left. Uh, so right now, it's uh, this is November. So in July, I was in uh, South Africa. Then in August, I was in Greece. Um, September, I was in Spain. Last month, I was in Turkey. This month, um, right now, I'm in Mumbai, India. Um, and next month, I'll be in Thailand. And so, um, and the companies I own are still US based. And so, the only thing that makes it possible for me to do this is one really good Wi Fi. <laughs> and uh, the fact that I have a management team that runs the companies on a full time basis um, and that there are really efficient ways of traveling back to the United States when necessary. So for instance, last week was our board meeting. And so I flew back to the U.S. for uh, for that and also to teach my class at, uh, at Cornell. Um, and uh, and so though, though, so whenever I needed to, I fly back. But for the most part, I'm doing most of the heavy lifting that um, is necessary for my uh, for my work with my companies um, uh, virtually. And so uh, and so, yeah, so that's how I've been been able to operate. So um, that said, you know, when probably on the very next deal that I do, um, my plan is to come back to the United States and work full time in that uh, in that mm-hmm. company as, uh, as CEO. Um, and so we'll see how that plays out. Um, as I mentioned, I'm working on a deal right now. We'll see how it plays. Um, but yeah, that's that's the goal. And so every time that I'm having a conversation with an owner, that's the frame. It's you know my goal is to buy the company and run it full time. Cool, cool. Uh, was this your goal when you first got into? Uh, buying businesses. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, the reason I ask this is because I do a lot of traveling as well. I've lived in eight different countries. I've been traveling since uh, like for 10 years now and off. I've been about 48 countries uh, and I'm obsessed with traveling. So I invite you to come to Bali. If you're coming to Bali, let me know. This is where I'm posted at the moment uh, for probably for a few years. So, uh, but yeah, it was that your intention when you, when you bought these businesses? Cause that was what it was for me is like, I wanted to travel and surf the world. Um, and it's a pretty cool lifestyle, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I, I thought regarding Bali, I may be in Bali by March. So my plan is to live in a different country every month for uh, for the next couple of months. Um, and so it may be around March that I make it to Bali. I have a general itinerary that I'm following um, that uh, that hopefully will bring me to Bali by that time. Um, that said, uh, 10 years ago, which is maybe four or five years before I started trying to buy companies, I knew I wanted to you know get an option to live internationally and travel the world. Um, 
one of my favorite movies is uh, is Up in the Air. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with uh, uh, with George Clooney, where he uh, he lives this lifestyle where he's like traveling all the time on by plane. And and that was uh, for me, that was a movie that was very inspirational. I wanted to live exactly like that that life. I thought that was really cool. Um, and so now it's kind of funny. Like I, I actually really do. Like I'm on a plane. Like like it should. It was actually exhausting last week. I was on a plane. I probably was. I probably flew more times in that week last week than I've ever flown like in my life. Like I, I was on a plane at least twice a day, every day last week. Um, I flew, I flew in, I flew into New York city. Then I flew to, uh, to Ithaca. Then I flew to North Carolina. Then I flew back to Ithaca. Then I flew to Atlanta and then I flew to India. <laughs> so it was just like back to back to back to back, back all the, and then, and then several like sort of like changing flights too. It was so, it was so intense. Um, but, um, so I'm enjoying the lifestyle. That said, um, I think unless you're buying an online business, uh, or uh, which are a lot easier to manage, I think um, from uh, from a um, from a not being stationary in the in the you know on on site, um, and sometimes some online businesses do require you to be to be on site. Um, uh, the offline businesses. Um, like for instance, the manufacturing business and the ed tech business, those things somewhat, unless you're going to have a management team require you to be on location. So, um, the, the company that I'm looking to buy now, that one will, will more likely to not require me to be on location. And so unless I plan to hire a management team and that said, the, the business comes with a very strong management team. That's one of the things I'm excited about, um, with the company. Um, but, uh, unless I'm, unless I just going to leave the management team to run the business or hire a CEO to run it, which is what we did for the management company, um, for the manufacturing company, uh, more likely than not, I'll, I'll, I'll be on location. And so uh, we'll see how it plays out. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of travel up my sleeve as well. Like I won't be mm. back in Bali until March anyway, because I'll be snowboarding, tennis oh, wow. trips, surf trips up until <laughs> March anyway. So uh, Very cool. that's, yeah, that's the reason why we do this, right? And mm-hmm. that's, I, I think it's worth sharing this because... I, f- I was doing a, a little um, – I do a Facebook live into my group every – like paid community every once a month and somebody asked me like, why are you moving to Bali? And um, they ended up talking to me and asking me about like my lifestyle and all that sort of stuff and I had just not shared much of my lifestyle on purpose for a long period of time because <clears throat> I didn't want to be the guy that was on Instagram, you know, like showing off my life and then I didn't want to be on the wrong side of that feeling like I needed to needed to just put out content there and sell my life. Also, I didn't want to have to feel like I was doing things to prove that my life is worthy um, or like is inspirational. But I just forgot that like the people after I sharing a little bit about like what my year had looked like or what my last two years had looked like in terms of traveling living in different places, surfing around, I just totally disregarded that it was inspirational and totally thought like people want to hear that and want to see that. So that's why I asked you because it is, like you said, with that movie, it's pretty inspirational and it's pretty cool life that I feel that you should be proud of because, and this is what people, and this is what we're doing here with this podcast is, is sharing people with like this, if you want this, this is the vehicle and that's exactly right. I mean, in fact, that's that's a big part of why I I've started, you know, starting to become more active on podcasts. Like like I would say up until maybe 5 or 6 months ago, I was uh 
I was almost invisible on on to the net. <laughs> there were no uh, videos or uh, conversations or anything that um, that I had shared publicly about like how I had gotten things done, the lifestyle that I was living, the whole nine. And just very recently, I've I decided to start to become more visible and more um, um, vocal about it um, because I do think that there's probably more people like me who. Um, I think when I was when I was coming to space as somebody who didn't have like a lot to try to get to where I'm at, um, there really wasn't anybody else like me who had actually navigated a lot of this um, work and 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 had done it successfully. Like I I kept meeting people who had a lot more safety nets than I had, um, and a lot more um, I don't know, just any sort of there was just. They had something that I didn't have. They either had an undergraduate degree, which I didn't have, or they had a business degree, which I didn't have, or they had a family support system that could provide them with some capital, which I didn't have, or they had something as basic as like stable housing, <laughs> which at the time I didn't have. Like, you know, like there was just like all these different things that I didn't have. So anytime I was like listening to somebody who had like bought a company, I would hear them and I'd be like, I would believe that it could get done. I knew it could get done, but there was always this part of me in the back of my mind that was like, yeah, but they also had this one thing that I, you don't have. And so therefore it's, and so when I'm speaking, I'm always like trying to like, I'm trying to inspire people because I think I came from the absolute like zero place. Like I think the, the one thing I had that I think that some people might say that's an advantage is the one thing I had was I had an American citizenship. <laughs> that was about the, that's the, that's the one thing I had, which I, it's, which is not to say it's it like the grant, which is not to say that's not an important thing. And, and I realized it more and more as being outside the United States and meeting people who have different unique challenges that uh, are sometimes just not a challenges for me because I'm an American. Um, uh, mm it's interesting to realize how privileged you are um, as an American or, mm-hmm. or become, or, or to confront it even more, um, you know, as a, as a, as an international uh, uh, person, person who lives internationally. Um, but that was about it. Like other than that, <laughs> I had to figure it out, figure it all out. And so, uh, and so yeah. if you have, if you're in my position where you have just a little bit more than just an American citizenship, um, I, I I do think it's possible for you to to get these things done and and I hope to you know use the these podcasts particularly yours um, and uh, and some of the stuff I do on social media and stuff to just like inspire people to see that this is accessible. Absolutely, absolutely. It's I'm so glad that you came on and shared that story. Like I think people take for granted that an American citizenship is a win. Yeah. You know, same with Australian citizenship mm-hmm. is a huge win and. Um, you know, I, I I may have been a little bit more privileged than you being in Australia and and having you know stable housing, but at the same time, I mean, I bought my first business for fifteen thousand dollars and I scrapped it together. Yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> and it I takes. was a plumber. You know, I never did the education thing, and it's you know, there's so many people that I don't know. Not to we should compare ourselves to others, but like there's so many people that started with less than what I did mm-hmm. and have achieved incredible things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's so inspirational to hear and uh, talk about like where where you came from and then like look at you like look at the lifestyle that you live now yeah. and then inspiring people at the same time. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Bakari. Thanks I'll be putting me. a link to to your uh, website in the show notes. Sure. And, uh, and if anybody yeah, wants stay to, in touch. if anybody else who's listening wants to stay in touch, you can reach me via email. It's just my first name at gravesallcap.com. 
as I mentioned, I'm doing some stuff on social media. You can um, that's on nomadnoir.co. If you type in nomadnoir.co to any of the social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, except for Twitter, that's the only one I don't use right now. <laughs> you can find most of my stuff there. And so, uh, so yeah, let's stay in touch. I'm excited to to do so. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening, and I'll speak to you on the next one. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Hey, YouTube watcher. If you thought that video was good, you should check out this video here on the two best types of websites beginners should buy. Or check out my playlist on how I made my first 100K from buying websites and how to do due diligence. Check it out. It's an awesome playlist. You'll enjoy it.